friend, welcome back to the club. How are you today? Today's topic might surprise or even shock you considering I've been gluten-free for over 10 years and recommending a gluten-free lifestyle, especially to those struggling with any kind of health concern. But I have to tell you, I feel like it's confession hour here. <laughs> I've been experimenting with milling organic wheat, like I bought a machine that grinds wheat, and I have been making bread, and we've been eating it. And you'll be glad to know I haven't died, and I haven't experienced any overt, noticeable issues, no digestive issues, no energy issues, no skin issues. Those are kind of the first levers that usually get flipped for me. Uh, but so far, so good. I do plan to do a little bit of lab testing just to see. I like to experiment with that kind of thing and see if that shows anything. Um, but I want to be clear before we move into this, it doesn't mean I'm eating conventional gluten-y products like bread and crackers from the grocery store. It's only this organic wheat that I'm using at home. I'm sure you're wondering what in the world possessed me to do such a thing <laughs> after having such a definitive stance over it all of these years. Um, so I'm going to tell you what led me here. Much of it is due to the influence of our guest today. I will introduce her in just a minute. But I want to just kind of give you insight into my thought process here. I've had, you know, some cognitive dissonance over the years when it comes to eating wheat. You know, we know that it was a major staple of the biblical diet. We know Jesus as the bread of life. I always joke that anytime we see Jesus in a food scene in the Bible, it usually involves fish, bread, and often wine. And I'm like, I'm so down with that. I would love to dine with Jesus <laughs> and those foods. But the problem, as we've heard it, is that modern wheat is not the same as biblical wheat. We're going to talk a lot about this today. But in a nutshell, a lot of the concern has been pinned on the fact that when wheat was hybridized in order to make it a smaller, sturdier, higher yielding plant, this changed the stru structure in a way that made the gluten proteins more pronounced and problematic, if you will. And that is why we've seen such an increase in celiac disease and also gluten sensitivity in the last 50 to 70 years. We have celiac disease on my mom's side of the family, which put this on my radar early on. And as I've shared here, going gluten-free made a tremendous impact on my health. And we see that for many people. I know a lot of people who, even if they don't have celiac disease, you know, one bite of gluten sends their body into a tailspin. So I've definitely seen removing it to be helpful for people. I won't deny that anytime we remove processed food from our diet, it's going to be, you know, better for our health. And I know that for me, having that line in the sand of not eating gluten has saved me from eating tons and tons of unhealthy processed food over the years. But now there are so many more gluten-free products on the market, and it's not like they're healthy or have any redeeming nutrition qualities. You know, they're just as bad as processed wheat products minus the gluten. But, you know, people think all they have to do is remove the gluten and then it's fine. I've tried to teach my clients that it's not healthier, it does remove the gluten, but that the other ingredients aren't great, you know, and so if we're buying gluten-free bread, to be mindful of that and use it sparingly. Even the homemade gluten-free bread I've made um, and make over the years, you know, is made with processed flour. That's not great for you. And, you know, over the years, I've had people ask me about using ancient grains, you know, like how about spelt, which has a lower gluten content. Uh, content or einkorn. 
And that's where some of this cognitive dissonance has come in for me. You know, is it really better to eat processed gluten-free flour over a high-quality ancient grain? You know, and does everybody have to be gluten-free? Why can people go to Europe and tolerate the wheat there? Is it glyphosate that's really the problem? I mean, all of these thoughts have been swirling in my head for some time. But in the holistic health space, you know, going gluten-free is like baseline foundation. And you just don't hear much otherwise. But because I do look to the Bible as a compass, I guess I've had more unsettling in my spirit than some people would. And my biggest fear as a health professional is leading people wrong. I'm not saying gluten-free is wrong. I just feel like there's a bigger picture, you know, that needs to be explored. And now that Carly and I are teaching other people to be Christian health practitioners, you know, in the School of Christian Health and Nutrition, I feel an even greater sense of responsibility. And I feel like God just kind of amped up this unsettling in my spirit over it, you know, in the last year. So that's why when one of my former clients sent me a message saying, I'd really like to get your opinion on this video. And she said, I've been milling my own grain for some time now. So, you know, watch this and see what you think. And it was a video of today's guest explaining and demonstrating the benefits of baking uh, bread with organic milled wheat. And because of this unsettling in my spirit that I had, that I feel like the Lord, you know, put there and had kind of amped up of late, I was open to, open to watching it, whereas I can't say that I always would have been. So I watched it and I heard this lady speak scripture, you know, shoot down a lot of the things we've heard about wheat and share some incredible testimonies about the benefits of eating it. And this sent my brain into a complete tailspin. I was like, whoa, wow, okay. And I immediately wanted to buy a mill and start making wheat bread, but I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Um, you know, I always get real excited when there's something new to try, whether it's a kitchen contraption or a supplement or a biohacking device. But this was just so in opposition to what I had been doing for so long. I just, I could not bring myself to do it. But I also could not get it out of my brain. And I binged on so many more YouTube videos about it. And I think I needed that time to let my brain open up about it a bit. And I would ask, well, I can't really say ask God, because honestly, I don't think I wanted to go there. I don't want to, I don't think I wanted to hear his answer, <laughs> but I kind of felt him there just observing my thoughts about it, letting me work through it. You know, he was there. And then one day, randomly, I was talking to another mom here in Sonora. We were standing in someone's front yard, picking up our girls from a birthday party. And I knew this mom had been making some major health shifts in her family. She was working with a holistic doctor, actually Dr. Ben Edwards in his clinic. And I've had him on the podcast before. And they had done a gluten-free trial. But now she said she was milling her own wheat and baking her own bread. And I said, oh my gosh, is it because of Sue Becker? And she said, yes. And I thought, all right, God, I hear you. I hear you. I'm supposed to explore this. So I immediately went home. I ordered a mill. I ordered spelt and einkorn and, you know, wheat. And we have been experimenting with making this bread and other homemade baked goods. I knew I wanted to have Sue on the podcast. I wanted to play with the bread first, you know, for a little bit. So it's been about three to four months now. And like I said, it's been good. I feel like it's really important to share this information to give you a fuller picture of the options, you know, to offer another viewpoint and some really good evidence and testimony of how eating real wheat can be good for you. 
And with that, I am honored to introduce our guest. Welcome Sue Becker to the Christian Health Club podcast. Thank you so much. It's so delightful to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for sharing um, your journey. And uh, that was very inspiring. Yes. Well, I'm just, I'm so glad you're here. I was so, so, I don't know, I wanted you to be able to come on so bad. (laughs) And you know, it took, it took a while um, for me to um, finally kind of reach out and then get through the channels to find you, but I did. And you were so gracious to say, yes, let's do it. And so there's so much I want to talk about today. Mostly I just want to give you the floor and like let you let her rip because Uh-oh. you know how to do that. <laughs> you know how to do it so well. Um, but why don't we just start by just kind of sharing your background and your journey and how you got here. Yeah, that, that's quite a, a story in itself. So I graduated from high school a long time ago, I'm I'll, 50 years to be exact. So um, yeah, went off to the University of Georgia as a pre-med student because I loved the study in the human body. I loved physiology, biochemistry, everything about the body and how it worked. Got to the University of Georgia and realized I didn't want to be in school that long. And I didn't want that grueling of career after college. I knew I wanted to be a wife and a mother. And uh, I certainly have accomplished that. I don't know if you read my bio. I have nine children and I have number 15 and number 16th grandchild on the way. So I knew that was where my heart was, but I still just loved the body and studying physiology and I wanted to help people and I ended up in pharmacy school and I one quarter there I was like this is not what I want to do and through prayer and the guidance of um, the dean of pharmacy school he led me to food science so I changed my major to food science and uh, food science is a broad field lots of um, chemistry food chemistry food processing you know everything that needs to be done to our food to make it sit on the shelf forever and ever but also food microbiology and food spoilage and food preventing food poisonings and things like that so i concentrated more in food microbiology and i worked as a, a food microbiologist for craft foods for almost five years before i had my first child once i had my first child then i came home as a full-time mom but After graduating school, I often laugh and say I was a better student after college or in school than I ever was in school. I just still had just an appetite for learning and studying, and I continued to read my microbiology books and my biochemistry books, and I studied the works of Adele Davis, who was a popular biochemist of the day, and just was fascinated with eating real food and wanting to feed my family healthy food. And so... We did, and I, I I tell everybody, I grew up Southern, so I cooked. Nothing was prepackaged. You know, we had real meat, real vegetables, real fruit at every meal, and um, except for our bread. Our bread, of course, I bought the best bread that I knew of in the store, the whole wheat bread, you know, the brown stuff, and um, dappled a little bit in making my own. I would buy whole wheat flour from the store because I knew that was healthier, but it was terrible. It was grainy and gritty and didn't make a soft bread or muffin. So I always had to put some white flour in it. And I, you know, I did everything I could to make the bread better. But um, like I said, outside of the bread, we were eating very healthy. And um, so in 1991, though, I came across a publication entitled How to Greatly Reduce the Risk of Common Diseases. 
in that public, excuse me, <clears throat> in that publication, the history of white flour was presented, the processing that grains go through to make it shelf stable. This information revolutionized my thinking. Also in that journal was a brief discussion of the common diseases that plague Americans and how it was directly related to our consumption of this processed white flour. I learned in that journal that whole grains are the most nutrient dense food that God has given us, but to prevent spoilage, processing of it removes the healthy bran and germ that's full of all the vitamins, minerals, fatty acids, vitamin E, and of course the fiber, leaving us with white flour that totally shelf stable, won't spoil, but virtually devoid of all the vitamins, minerals, and fiber. Yes, it has protein and starch, but without the other nutritional components, it was causing diseases in Americans. And um, I learned that the steel rolling mill came on the scene in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, prior to the 1900s, most Americans had the capacity either to mill their own grain or they bought their flour freshly milled from local millers. And that most of the diseases that we see today became started escalating after 1900 when the steel rolling mills and the white flour for the first time in history became food for everyone. Of course, everyone was delighted. It meant, hey, yay, no more milling my grain. Of course, at that time it was by hand or uh, like I said, at the local miller. And so this was believed to be a wonderful discovery. But in that journal, I learned that shortly after the milling process began, um, that three diseases became epidemic. Uh, beriberi, which is a vitamin B1 deficiency that causes nervous disorders, became epidemic. Um, pellagra particularly plagued the southeastern United States, and, um, and it's a vitamin B3 deficiency, and it's a horrible disease with bowel uh, um, disruptions, skin eruptions, mental insanity, and virtually death in the end. And then anemia became a real problem as well. And this just opened my eyes into what had happened to our bread. And it was not something I remember learning in school. And um, so it changed my thinking. And um, I and I also learned that eventually they traced these diseases to the white flour, the new white flour that was on the market, and that the Brannan, removal of the Brannan germ, we lost, with the removal of the Brannan germ, we lost these nutrients, and that that was what was causing the problem. Eventually, the government stepped in and said, you got to put the Brannan germ back in because of these epidemic diseases and they were the millers were like nah we can't do that we're selling the brand and germ as cattle feed so eventually so they didn't want to give up that lucrative market so they continued on and eventually the government stepped in again and said okay you got to fortify the flour but for the fortification process they put three b vitamins and iron back in the flour for the 35 to 40 nutrients that are lost by taking away the bran and germ, not to mention the fiber that's lost and all the phytonutrients and who knows how many other um, vitamins and, and nutritional value that, you know, helps you assimilate everything that's there. So this was very eye-opening to me, much like what you're saying, you know, my video did for you. This 
this changed my thinking. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is real. And with my science background, my biochemistry background, and the love for physiology and the way the body works, because I always kind of came at things, if our body's not working, then we're missing a nutrient in, in, in our food or either we need to supplement or whatever. So that was kind of my jumping off place in my thinking. Well, I was like, okay, this is the missing link in our diet and I'm going to do this. And, uh, in fact, that's, uh, thir let's see, this is 23. So 32 years ago this month, cause my birthday is in February, my husband bought me a grain mill for our, my birthday. And I began to mill all of the flour and make all of the bread, muffins, cakes, pancakes, whatever from freshly milled flour. And I was astonished at the change in our health. We were not sickly, sickly people, but definitely had some issues going on. Um, you know, by then I had uh, five young children, went on to have number six and number seven after we began milling our own grain. But it, it changed everything. The first day for me, I milled the flour, I made the bread. <laughs> I pooped the next morning is what I tell people, you know, constipation was instantly gone for me. And that had been something I had struggled with all of our life. And of course, one of the main um, diseases that I had read in that journal, that America is the most constipated nation in the world, and it's directly related to the bread and the flour products that we're eating. And constipation is not just about not going every day. It leads to virtually... <laughs> many, many other bowel and GI related issues. And then also for me, I began to notice right away that my energy levels went up. And with five young children that you're homeschooling, you got nursing babies, you notice when your energy is up and you're not like crashing at two and one and two in the afternoon. And um, then my dependence on antihistamines went completely away in the first month of milling my own grain and making the bread for our family. And at first I didn't understand it, but then the more I studied, I realized that my constipation was leaving toxins in my body that was causing my body then to respond by making mucus so you can get rid of those toxins other ways. I lived on antihistamines. I had to take them every night to sleep so that my sinus congestion wouldn't keep me from breathing, and this was gone. And um, that was 1991, and I can stand here today and tell you that I've not had an antihistamine or a decongestant of any kind in 32 years. That's amazing. Even if I get a cold or the flu or whatever, I don't get so much congestion that I need an antihistamine or a decongestant. My body knows how to just flush it out. So that was, those were big things for me. Um, I also noticed my sugar cravings greatly diminished. And uh, we can talk about that a little more in, in a few minutes. But, you know, when you're giving your body those good carbohydrates that your body needs for energy, you don't have those highs and lows and slumps of energy. You get a good steady release of those carbohydrates for your body to use for energy throughout the day. And so with that was my energy, but also I wasn't craving sugar. Like, oh, I need, I need something to pick me up. My frequent headaches were gone. I uh, didn't have migraines terribly often, but certainly had them, but always just seemed to have kind of a dull nagging headache, um, just kind of all the time. And uh, so that was me, and that was some the first day and the first month for sure. Then I began to notice that my children's just they they just didn't seem to get every 
sickness that came around church or whatever. It didn't pass through our family. The snotty noses went away. My two youngest children, just babies, they never went through that, what I call the 18-month snotty nose age where they just seem to be goopy all, all the time. But, you know, so I noticed these things. And one of my children's warts went away. And I know people may laugh, but warts are a virus. And if your body doesn't have what it needs to fight the viruses and protect yourself from viral invasion, then you're going to get them often like colds and flus and things like that. Or you're going to keep it with a war, you know, a virus that causes warts. So I studied all these things. And so anyway, this was all pretty much in the first month of changing our bread to only freshly milled flour. And I just introduced the bread to everything we were already eating. Like I said, I was Southern. We were eating food, real food, meat, fruits, vegetables. And now I was adding real bread is what I call it to our table. And the other thing that was so exciting was it was delicious. It wasn't healthy food that I had to tell my children, you're going to eat this. Now, I will clarify by saying when I first read the information about whole grains and freshly milled flour, I assumed that this flour would bake up like and taste like the whole wheat flour that I was buying in the store, which I knew made very gritty, grainy bread, very dense, heavy bread. Never would I've made a muffin out of 100% store-bought whole wheat flour. So my, uh, you'll realize that if you've listened to me, you know, I'm kind of an all or nothing kind of person. So this was like white flour is not coming back in our house. And my attitude was, I don't care. We're going to eat this bread. If you have to choke it down, you're eating it. So I was quite amazed when every loaf of bread, every muffin, every pancake was light and fluffy. My children loved it. They never complained about it. They in fact, they loved it. My little toddlers got to where when they wanted something to eat, they would just say, I want to roll with honey, you know, instead of I'm, I'm hungry or can I have something to eat? So this was very, very exciting for me. This was healthy food that was nutritious, but very delicious and food that I did not have to coerce my children to eat and my family to eat. I do a lot of things for healthy eating. I do green drinks and all kinds of things that my children over the years would go, no, mom, we're not doing that. They never turn down a muffin, a donut, a cinnamon roll, a piece of bread or a sandwich with our freshly milled whole grain bread. So that was, that was exciting to me. So I began to bake bread for other people. I took it to church, of course, because I'm not going to feed people white bread, you know. The next thing I knew, uh, by 1992, people were coming to me saying, hey, um, I noticed that I have more energy when I eat this bread or I poop today. You know, my constipation's gone. Um, they started saying how much better they felt with just the rolls or the bread that I would send home with them from church or whatever. And so the next thing I know, people started calling me and saying, hey, I think I want a grain mill and I want to start doing this so that I have muffins and pancakes and everything in the home all the time. Will you teach me how to make bread and where can I get a grain mill? And so that's how it began. And it was funny in those days of making bread for other people, I did start doing that. And um, the kids and I had this little business of making the bread for others. And it was funny because here I was making all the bread for my large family. I mean, like I said, we had six children by that time, by 1992. And 
I was homeschooling and we were active in church. Our kids played sports. They took piano lessons. So we were busy. So here I was making six loaves of bread twice a week for our family, muffins, pancakes, everything, but then also trying to make bread for other people. And I literally was wearing myself out. So after several people had asked me, would I teach them how to make bread and where could they get a grain mill? I never forget the day in 1992, it was uh, the fall of 1992, I met my husband in the driveway when he drove up from work after I'd been making bread all day and really weary. And I just looked at him and I said, I don't think I'm supposed to make bread for the world. I think I'm supposed to teach the world how to make bread for themselves. And we sat there on the swing in our carport and we talked about it. And we just decided that that's what um, I we thought I was supposed to do. And um, that was the beginning of what we called bread beckers. And we started in 1992. We incorporated in 1998 when a, with a longtime friend because we outgrew our home. We outgrew our family just on the testimonies of others. And um, because it, it was just, it was amazing, the testimonies of others. In fact, that's what led me to the video that I produced because as these people started learning how to make bread and making it for themselves, I was getting phone calls and the it, one before eight o'clock in the morning was the most memorable one in the beginning. And her words, not mine, were, it's the bread. It's got to be the bread. That's the only thing I changed. And my cholesterol dropped 85 points in one month. And, and then she went on to say, I've been on medication, three or four doctors, nothing changed until I started doing this bread. So, and I started, I began to hear this over and over. But this fascinated me. So I pulled out my biochemistry books and I'm like, Lord, what is in this bread that would bring someone's cholesterol down 85 points in a month? And I learned that every nutrient is there to bring cholesterol down and to metabolize fats and oils and that cholesterol is a good nutrient that our body needs for just about everything. And um, we need it to be able to be in a usable form. And so the nutrients that were in whole grains and freshly milled flour were there. And that's why we were seeing these results. And we've heard it over and over. And then as I studied, I started reading that cholesterol, heart disease, these were not issues until the white flour came on the scene. So that kind of brings you to where we are today. Um, we love what we do. I'm passionate about what we do. Like I said, we incorporated with a longtime partner in 1998. We moved into our current um, facility where we are now. We have a warehouse store and studio kitchen where we teach our cooking classes. And then we have another warehouse now where we have become one of the largest grain packaging facilities in the southeastern United States with co-ops all over the place. In fact, we have some in Texas. Um, as a result of um, my interview with Dr. Ben Edwards, we have um, a co-op. It's now moved from Lubbock to uh, Sundown, but we have one in Fort Worth and we have uh, requests for some in Al Abilene and Childress. So you can email um, support at breadbeckers.com and find out about that. But that kind of brings you to where we are today. And um, I'm just on a mission. My mission in the beginning was to explain to people the difference in the commercially processed white flour and freshly milled whole grains and the value of the Brandon germ. Um, I've been shocked in the 30 years of all the anti-grain stuff that comes around that I have to go and study and question the Lord again, going, okay, what's the truth here? And, and I've been amazed at the 
attack on bread and whole grains and and um, but what I've learned has been invaluable and I'm passionate about teaching people the truth so that we don't um, shy away from the most nutrient dense food God has given us so that's my story <laughs> it's an amazing one um, yeah I had to laugh earlier when you were saying you know you thought it would be your children would fight you <clears throat> to, oh, yeah. you know your family would fight you to eat it and just literally yesterday I made blueberry muffins with my milled flour and my family accused me like where did you buy these uh-huh. <laughs> they, yeah. they thought I'd bought them because they were so good and just different from um you know so many baked goods I've made over the years um yeah. you know with gluten-free flour and such like these are so good. Buy these again, mom. <laughs> I, like, I yes. made these. Hey, yes. I made and these. I mean, they're going to, your kids and your family are going to have different likes and dislikes. I mean, some of mine like the blueberry muffins and some don't like blueberries because they don't like cooked fruit. But anyway, I, I've found the same thing and I've, I've done, uh, I've actually cooked for youth retreats and I've, I made the wedding cakes for my girls' weddings and people would come up and go, this is the best cake I've ever tasted. And it was all freshly milled flour. And um, so it's exciting when, you know, people that think they don't like whole wheat, which I understand that it's kind of nasty, the stuff from the store. <laughs> and, uh, but this is so light and fluffy. And I've never had someone just say they didn't like my bread. It's just been been an interesting journey. So I'm passionate for helping people learn. A lot of people feel a little overwhelmed. Um, you know, they go, oh, I'm so busy. How can I do this? You can do it. It's easy. Buy the tools you need to make it adaptable to your lifestyle. Um, I love my mill. And I say to this day, it's the most valuable appliance in my home. So it literally takes like minutes less than a minute <laughs> to yeah. mill the grain yes it, it's with that machine yeah. it's and everybody we will put links to all these things we're talking about yeah. in the show notes um yeah it yeah. literally yeah. Is, it takes no time at all i uh, know i have to tell you this story it's really funny because so when i first started milling and i would take bread to church or whatever people go oh my gosh or coffee cake or muffins or whatever i want your recipe can i get your recipe and i'm like well, yeah, I can give you the recipe, but you understand that I mill my own flour um, to make this. And they go, it was always two questions. The first, they would go, you do what? And I would say, I mill my own flour. And the second question just humored me for the longest time until I figured out some things. They would go, where do you live? And I would just laugh. I, I would go, I, I live in a house. I, I, you know, and when I started writing my book a few years ago and studied really even more of the, the evolving of grain mills, you know, and learned about the big stone mills that water wheels or animals power, you know, powering them. I'm like, that's what they thought that I lived where I had a barn and an ox and a big mill or water or something. And uh, they never imagined that I had this tiny little mill that sits on my counter and is electric. And all I do is pour the grain in and in less than 30 seconds, I can have a pound of flour. So it was always, it was always funny to me that that was the question of what they were envisioning in their mind that I mill my own grain. So, well, let's um, go into a little more to why somebody couldn't just go to the store and buy organic 
whole wheat and make their bread out of that. Um, I mean, you, you did start in on that, but that's the question I want to get. Okay. Is it the same? Can I just go to the store and, and buy, you know, organic whole wheat and what, what yeah. is wrong with that yeah. as opposed to milling my own grain? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I did get into a little more of the history of white flour um, because that's what introduced me to it. But what we have to understand that when those steel rolling mills came on the scene in the late 1800s, early 1900s, it displaced all other milling methods. So it displaced the, the local millers, went out of business. Um, and, you know, whereas before communities were built up around the miller, I, you know, in the Atlanta area, just within 10 miles of my house, 10 mile radius, we have all kinds of rope mill road, sewer mill road, howl mill road. These are mill roads. These are places that used to have mills there. And they were dotted all throughout the country. And when these stone mills um, went out of business, virtually all commercially milled flour is milled on the steel rolling mill. The steel rolling mill steams the grain, crushes the grain, and then sifts all the bran and germ out, um, has to remove the oil or the flour would oxidize. And then a product called nitrogen trichloride was used for more than 40 years to bleach the flour because the residual oils would turn the flour yellow. So we couldn't have that, right? So um, this product was taken off the market, but a chlorine derivative is still being used. Um, benzoyl peroxide is another product that is the flour is exposed to. And let me just reiterate that this is used now your your bleaching wouldn't be but benzoyl peroxide um is is even whole grain flour or whole wheat flour is exposed to that and let me back up a little bit so the steel rolling mills separate the bran and germ producing white flour to make whole wheat flour they add some of the bran and germ back in it is not at all the same as milling your own um, the oils are removed. That is why the whole wheat flour you buy from the store is going to be dry and gritty because the oils aren't there. Not to mention that shortly after milling, the nutrients begin, oxidation begins and nutrients begin to oxidize. As long as you leave that kernel of grain whole and intact, those nutrients are storable. But as soon as you mill it into flour, it, the nutrients begin to oxidize. And I've, I've read differing reports on how fast the oxidation takes place, but um, I know the University of Oklahoma and um, some other cereal universities that have departments in cereal, they say that most of the oxidation takes place within the shortly after milling. So that much we do know. And um, so this is one of the problems is that the whole wheat flour you're buying from the store is not at all like freshly milling and is indeed um, exposed to some chemicals. Now, I guess if you're buying organic, perhaps not, but there's a, there's a fallacy that circulates among bakers that you can't get good gluten development with freshly milled flour, so it actually has to be held um, for you know, two weeks or 30 days, even some to for oxidation to take place, so you get better gluten development. And some reputable, kind of reputable um, flour companies um, that do you know leave all the bran and germ in, they do believe that, and so it, it's held so that oxidation actually takes place. So outside of milling your own, 
I just don't see how you're going to get all the nutritional benefits from the whole grain and uh, even buying, say, the best flour you can get out there. Now, you might find some independent millers um, that would mill it fresh and sell it fresh, but like I said, some independent ones, they hold their flour so that it actually oxidizes. So that's, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, it tells us, you know, God tells Adam and Eve what he's given them for food. And he says, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. So there's two kinds of food God gave us. He gave us fruits and vegetables that have the seed inside. And then he gave us seeds, grains, beans, nuts. These are the seeds. And that's the fruit of that. That's the food for us. So why did he give us these two kinds of foods? Well, fruits and vegetables, what happens to them over time when you store them? They rot, they spoil every day. They're losing nutrients as a part of the ripening and spoilage process. So that's why he gave us seeds because those nutri nutrients are storable as long as you keep that seed whole and intact. So he gave us two kinds of food so we would always have food to eat even in the off season or the current season. So grains are storable, left whole and intact, but once they're milled in the flour, the nutrients begin to oxidize fairly rapidly. Um, there's some differing of opinion of how fast and what all you lose, but certainly you begin to lose nutrients. Oxidation is a fact of life. We've all seen what happens to an apple when you cut it. It turns dark immediately. So there's some oxidation that takes place right away and um, freezing and refrigerating doesn't stop that. In fact, bananas tend to get darker as soon as you start refrigerating them. So those are things we need to think about. Um, I would just, you know, yeah, maybe that's the best option of buying organic whole grain flour if you don't have a mill, but it's it's not gonna give you the results that you're looking for. And I'm, I'm concerned that it's gonna make you think this is what whole wheat flour tastes like. So those are my concerns. Yeah. And the, um, the oxidation process, I mean, that is why, you know, when they take this stuff out, that's what makes it shelf stable to take yes. it out. That's why it can live on the, all these things can live on the shelf with, of course, all the additives and things they put in there that you could leave a, you know, bread out and it won't go moldy for a long time. And, <laughs> Yeah. You know, that a, a long time ago in my bread journey, I've never been against bread. Right. Um, and I always tell people, people that, um, but you know, I, I always knew, you know, like, I'm not going to go to the grocery store and buy Mrs. Baird's. I mean, that's right. just, you know, so like the very first step, um, even before I went gluten-free was to start buying my bread in the bakery. Cause I'm like, yeah. okay, at least this is going to, this is going to spoil. I know that's a good sign. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And that's something, you know, we have to think about. I read some people say, oh, you know, the healthy whole grain bread in the store is no better than the white bread. Well, I tend to kind of agree because, well, one thing I disagree with, there's really not a healthy whole grain bread that you buy in the regular grocery store if it's made by a large commercial food company. You know, I I, I bought a loaf of healthy 100% whole grain bread, and I say healthy sarcastically, um, by a reputable maker. It was double wrapped, you know, so it was 100% whole grain is what it said. And to be labeled that, it has to say, you know, it has to have whole grain as the first um, type of flour. Now, remember, whole grain is not necessarily what you and I think of whole grain. Some of the brand and germs have been added back. But I want to tell you this. 
So I bought this loaf of bread to use as a visual aid to read the ingredient label to people to see what was actually in there. I bought this loaf of bread in 2018. It is still on my shelf. It has never spoiled. It has never molded. Do you, oh do you know what year we're in right now? <laughs> 2023. I had to buy this second loaf in 2018 because I was using it as a visual aid because the first loaf that I bought, I had for five or six years. It never spoiled. It never molded. It actually began to disintegrate, just disintegrate, turned into dust. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. And I'm like, okay, this is very, very interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's the problem with uh, commercially made flowers and commercially made bread products they're just not what you think they are no and they're in i'd love for you to go a little bit more into the actual and you started with some of the b vitamins and stuff um mm -hmm. but maybe go a little bit more into the nutrition that we get when when the grain is intact and then we freshly mill it you know the the vitamin e and all of these things yes. that are so missing um today and that we we are missing out by just buying commercial bread yeah that's true yeah and um interesting yeah so whole grains are one of the most nutrient dense food god has given us i i read in one of my books that of the 44 essential nutrients for life and to promote health there's only four missing in wheat and that's just wheat some of your other whole grains might um offer those provide those so the four are vitamin a wheat is deficient in vitamin a vitamin c so eat your fruits and vegetables to get your vitamin a your vitamin c vitamin b12 little deficient uh but not completely vitamin d go out in the sunshine without sunscreen get some good sun um not extensive not you know overly exposed but anyway those are your three vitamins and then an amino acid lysine lysine is slightly deficient in wheat it's okay for adults but growing children need a little bit more but if you add beans beans have lysine and so that completes the the protein components that you need that's wheat so what is in wheat all your b vitamins um in in grains it in general they'll, they'll different nutritional profiles for specific ones but overall all your b vitamins are there your B1, B2, B3, and we already talked about, you know, vitamin B1, nervous disorders, uh, a deficiency in nervous disorders, vitamin B3, pellagra, um, that was skin eruptions, mental insanity. Um, one nutritionist that I studied, Dr. Abram Hoffer, he wrote a book and um, he actually treated schizophrenics with vitamin B3, which B3 is niacin, which we may know it as needed for good heart um, function. All your minerals, zinc, iron, calcium, magnesium, they're all there. They're all in grains and in wheat. And then, of course, probably the one nutrient we're missing the most when we process grain and strip out the germ is essential fatty acids, but then it's valuable component vitamin E. Prior to bread um, flour being milled and the stripping away of the bran and germ, heart disease was rarely an issue because of the vitamin E that we were eating on a regular basis. And um, Dr. Uh, Wilfred Shute, world-renowned cardiologist, he traveled all over, said, I found the cure for heart disease. He treated his patients with vitamin E and he attributed 
the, the lack of vitamin E coming from when bread flour started being fractionated. He called it stripping away of the bran and germ. We lost the most potent anticoagulant vitamin E. Vitamin E is needed by every cell in your body. I have a whole podcast and paper on vitamin E and um, grains, wheat. It's one of the richest food sources of vitamin E that we have. So those are some of the main nutrients that we need to look at that we're now missing when we don't have the bran and germ components. When they strip away the bran and germ, like I said, we lose about 86% of the nutrients that are found in the whole grain. And a lot of, and that's not mentioning the fiber. We lose our richest, most delicious food source of fiber. Yes, we can get fiber from fruits and vegetables. That's mostly soluble fiber, but it's that insoluble fiber of whole grains and beans that's so critical for cleaning and out our guts and keeping our guts and our um, elimination system moving and and, and healthy. So um, I'm, I'm probably forgetting something. I, I Yeah, but those are some of the main things that we need to look back at. And when they strip the bran and germ away, we lost all these nutrients. Like I said before, they only added four back, um, vitamin B1, I think B2, B3, and iron. And yeah, they did eventually make them add folic acid um, to, the, to the enrichment process. Do you know why? Because they watched the rising incidence of birth defects for more than 50 years and went, um, we've lost our vitamin, our folic acid source. So they now put folate, you know, or folic acid, the natural is folate. And some people can't assimilate that. And so, yeah, supposedly it corrected all these issues that they saw epidemic proportions of when the white flower came on the market. But I always ask this question, how many nervous disorders do we have today? How many skin issues do we have today? How many bowel issues do we have today? How much mental insanity do we have today? These are all serious issues. Did the enrichment process that put these five nutrients back in for the 44 to who knows how many that are lost by stripping away of the brand and germ, did it really take care of that? And I would say no. And the only way we can go back is to begin to mill our own so that all the bran, all the germ, all the vitamin E, all the fatty acids, and all of the fiber are there to promote our good health. Yeah, and you know, when we talk about B vitamins or really any kind of nutrition, there is no substitute for the way that God formulated it and put it together and the way that the vitamins and minerals work synergistically yes. together to make them bioavailable to our body. Yeah. And there's just, there's no substitute for that. There's real there's no, there's no supplement, you know, for that. Anytime we isolate something, you're just missing the synergy of the way it's supposed to work with the body. And so I think... That is an important thing to be. I know so many people are deficient in B mm-hmm. vitamins today. And, um, and so it's, yeah. you know, it, 
always we're, we want to look to real food to, when we can when we can yeah. get that you know and there's there's a lot of depression there's a lot of nervous disorder issues and another thing you know i i told you you know one of the first things i noticed was that i had more energy yes it was the good carbohydrates the sustaining release of these good carbohydrates for my energy but it was also the b vitamins that are found in the grain already but then this was something I learned a couple of years into my journey of milling my own grain. The fiber, the insoluble fiber that's not digestible for humans, it passes through our digestive system and dumps into our large intestines or our bowels, which is what helps us eliminate, you know, this fiber. But um, what I learned though was this fiber is also the good food for our good gut organisms that should be living in our large intestines. They feed on this fiber, break it down, and actually produce, it's called gut fermentation, kind of like you ferment milk or, you know, to make yogurt or vegetables to make sauerkraut, but this is happening in our gut, and those organisms, a byproduct of this fermentation is a massive production of B vitamins that then get absorbed into your body through the through your gut, and that helps us with energy. Every cell in our body needs these B vitamins to produce the energy for every cell, so this was a big factor. Not only those B vitamins are produced and one Christian physiologist that I read, he said, without this gut fermentation, you could not get enough B vitamins that your body needs just from food alone. So this is a critical part too. Also, this gut fermentation, these organisms produce um, essential fatty acids. Butyric acid is one that they've done extensive research that they've shown that it's, it's the energy source for the cells that line your um, large intestine also shows anti-carcinogenic um, properties. So it's massive what's going on there. And they produce natural antibiotics. They don't want the pathogens living in their house any more than we do. So they produce all these good antibiotics to keep um, the pathogenic population under control and an overgrowth of yeast and other um, disease-causing organisms. So it's massive. Like you say, you can't just say, oh, we lost vitamin B1 and vitamin B3. No, we lost a lot. Um, vitamin E, vitamin, you know, it's, it's huge, the essential fatty acids, but also the fiber contributes vitamins as well. And I think that's a factor that a lot of people don't realize. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's it's like a synergistic snowball that just, it's, it's massive. One scripture that just really, the Lord showed me, I mean, now, you know, 30, 32 years, I, I find bread scriptures everywhere in the Bible. And um, one that just really resonated with me in Isaiah 55, verse 2, um, God asked the question of the Israelites, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your earnings for what does not satisfy. And then he goes on, hearken diligently to me and eat what is good. And that just resonated with me is why would I spend my money on that which is not bread and my earnings for what does not satisfy? But not only that, food that's making me sick. Not It may fill my belly, but it's making me sick. And that has really... Um, been kind of the cornerstone of our business and now my ministry, Real Bread Outreach, going to other countries. I don't want to give you white rice and white bread. 
and food banks. You know, I want to make sure we as God's people are sharing real bread with, with others and not food that's making them sick and that's not real. So that's kind of a um, testimony that, or a scripture that just really, really, really resonated with me. And you mentioned, um, you know, again, some of the, the processed flour in the store. It's just, I hear people often say, you know, I can go to Europe and I can even eat the white bread and it doesn't bother me. And I think it has to do with the the chlorine derivatives that we're bleaching our flour with, the benzoyl peroxide that we're exposing our flour to, the potassium bromate. I mean, that it strengthens the, the gluten-forming potential of the bread, but it's been shown to cause liver and thyroid issues. And yet we're, we're blaming, we're putting blame on things that I don't, I don't know that that's accurate, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, um, I think this might be a good place. I anticipated that this would be a longer uh, podcast because I had so much I wanted you to talk about. And so I think we'll make two parts out of this um, podcast and maybe close it here for part one and um, open back up because there's still so much more that I want you to yeah. to comment on and talk about we haven't even gotten to really in some of the the gluten arguments and mm -hmm. wheat belly and all that good stuff so um so everybody we're going on you're probably mad <laughs> well can i share hearing it you're gonna have can to i share two <laughs> scriptures to close out this section that i think would be just powerful to end on okay yes, first of all proverbs do. 14 12 says this there's a way that seems right to a man but the end thereof is death. And when the steel rolling mills and the flour, you know, separating the bran and germ, it seemed like, yay, wonderful discovery, flour no longer spoils, but the end thereof is death. And then the other scripture that so blew me away when I found it, and it was in the most obscure place, and it was Deuteronomy 24, verse 6. You know, I'm reading Leviticus right now. We've kind of trudged through Leviticus, Deuteronomy, those scriptures, but right there, I saw this and it's a, a law that God gave the Israelites about borrowing and lending. And there was something he prohibited in his law for them to take as a pledge from someone that borrowed something from them. He said, do not take a man's upper millstone as a pledge for you would be taking his life. That's powerful. In the early 1900s, we let someone take our millstones out of our home and we've been losing our health and our life ever since. Mm, that's uh, yeah. that's pretty powerful. Wow. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. We will continue this discussion next week with part two. Have a healthy and blessed week and I will talk to you soon.